0: I like to say the expectations are premeditated resentments. I also think they're they're premeditated disappointments as well. I've learned to radically switch my expectations. Again, because I am a natural optimist, idealist, I'll always envisage things being the best. And then all I've got to go from there is really to be disappointed. (laughs) Um, Mm. Whereas my wife is very, very handy as a partner because she will tend to see the perceived problems. That's just how her mind works it's a different way of looking at things. This is actually a concept in psychology called counterfactual thinking. What many of us will do is we'll tend towards upward counterfactual thinking, which is that things should have been better, would have been better. And actually, it's really, really lovely (laughs) to imagine that actually the alternative to what is happening could have been worse because then everything seems to be a a pleasant surprise. Do you always
1: really look forward to Christmas, holidays or other family celebrations, only for it never to live up to your expectations? Or perhaps life has not worked out quite how you expected it to, and you're struggling with regrets and disappointment. It's fair to say that everyone on this planet has had to cope with disappointment in one way or another. But how do we deal with disappointment in a way which doesn't leave us resentful and bitter, floundering in a pool of self-blame or angry at other people? So in this, our 2022 Christmas special, Karina Gordon-Barnes, executive coach and relationship expert, joins us again to talk about how to deal with life's disappointments. We talk about how our own lack of self-compassion can make things worse and the sort of mindset changes which can help. And we tell you how to play Christmas bingo and hunt the pony. So listen to this episode to find out how we so often make disappointing events much, much worse for ourselves. Some simple tools which can turn any disappointment into a learning experience. And how to cope better, even with the bigger disappointments and tragedies that life throws at us. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog the podcast for doctors and other busy professionals in high-stress, high-stakes jobs. I'm Dr Rachel Morris, a former GP, now working as a coach, trainer and speaker. Like frogs in a pan of slowly boiling water, many of us don't notice how bad the stress and exhaustion have become until it's too late. But you are not a frog. Burning out or getting out are not your only options. In this podcast, I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts and inviting you to make a deliberate choice about how you will live and work so that you can beat stress and work happier. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours? then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do it's a 60 minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough it's just 27 pounds and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back it's wonderful to welcome back with me onto the podcast today, Karina Gordon-Barnes. Welcome back, Karina.
0: Hello. I feel like I am becoming part of the furniture, like a nice, saggy, saggy old sofa.
1: Oh, it's, well, I wouldn't describe you as quite as a saggy <laughs> old sofa. Maybe a beautiful armchair.
0: <laughs> Thank be? you. I'll take that.
1: <laughs> now, you are one of our regulars and we're hoping to get you on a lot more. Karina, why don't you just introduce yourself for people that have not met you before?
0: I have been coaching for many years. So since I was 25 years old, I was a precocious 25-year-old, started coaching, and I've been coaching ever since. What do you specialise in, in particular? I, I would sum it down to relationships. What makes a relationship work, whether it's at work, at home? How do we deal with the disappointments of relationships, the resentments of relationships? Because relationships can really make or break our working life and our home life too.
1: And they're one of the sort of threefold things in life that's important. I was listening to a podcast the other day with a sort of Uber coach, and they were saying, really, life boils down to three things that you need to be happy. One is a a sense of purpose in your life. Two is your health. And three is good relationships. Would you agree with those three? Yeah, I would. So so relationships, quite, quite a big field there. And I know that you've done A couple of really popular podcasts, the one on should I stay or should I go, I would recommend that people check out if you're wondering about staying in a relationship or staying in a job or staying in a friendship. That was that that has been
0: particularly impactful, I think. Absolutely. That real limbo place where you're not really in or out and it's that horrible half-hearted place. You're not whatever it is, the job, the relationship isn't good enough to be fully in, but you're not quite able to leave. So you're just, yeah, you're in limbo.
1: And I think this podcast is a really good follow-up to that because today we are talking about disappointment. Um, Mm -hmm. All sorts of disappointments. Mm -hmm. But as it is our Christmas special, we're going to start off with talking about disappointment around Christmas or whichever holiday you celebrate. And I'm hoping that even if you don't celebrate Christmas, you're going to have a little bit of time off over the holiday season to spend with family. So, yeah, Karina, what sorts of disappointments have you noticed
0: tend to happen in particular around Christmas? There can be so much hype and the Christmas movies play into that hype. All the glossinesses of Instagram or Facebook or whatever platform you're on. We, I think we all have in mind what a perfect Christmas or seasonal holiday might look like where everyone's just harmonious and getting on and there's joy and laughter and the... The songs all say it, don't they? Don't they? They tell us what kind of magical time of year it's—the most magical time of the year. Mm. And just for context, I am married to somebody who loves Christmas more than is is really quite sane. Um, <laughs> uh, we we <laughs> traditionally have put our Christmas tree up the day after Halloween. We we're not doing oh, that no. at the moment with with two small children who are um, potential wrecking balls and just wanting to learn to crawl, but. As someone who is married, as someone who adores Christmas, there is that image of the perfect Christmas, matching pyjamas. We've got our matching pyjamas ready for this year. We have Christmases sometimes with friendship groups. We have Christmases with our family of origin. We have Christmases with our created family. And each of these, we can have an image in our mind of how it should be and how we would long for it to be. And then there's the reality Of what it actually is like on the day. And so often people have that anticlimactic feeling. After Christmas, it's like, that wasn't how the movies presented it to be. That wasn't how I hoped it would be. We got into this argument. People just sat around watching the telly. This person didn't show up even. So there was maybe someone who wasn't there around the table who you wanted to be there. Maybe it's about presents. Maybe the presents you got suggested that people don't really know you they don't really understand who you are as a person why why did you give me this thing why did you give me this blender do you think I should be cooking more uh, more why did you give me this jumper this isn't my style there can be a lot of expectation that is then crushed by the reality of getting together with other humans with their own busy lives so on the actual day itself and in the aftermath there can be that disappointment
1: And I think if you add in as well, the fact that most people get time off at Christmas, I know some of our listeners will be working on Christmas Day. If you are, then we really wish you well on Christmas Day. But, you know, you've been working as hard as you can. You've got all the extra stuff around Christmas that you've had to do. And then suddenly you get to think, oh, wow, time off, a holiday. Mm -hmm. And then it's just frigging hard work <laughs> for, yeah. for three days. You might spend it with people that you wouldn't normally spend lots of time with, or you wouldn't normally choose to spend lots of time with. And then you wonder why you get sort of a few days after Boxing Day feeling really knocked and hacked off, and think, "Well, well okay, that w- that was my annual leave. That was mm. uh, that was supposed to be this this wonderful time of year." Now, I have to put a caveat here because um I know that my mum listens to
0: this podcast. So I just want to <laughs> say that. <laughs> as does mine yes oh does your mum listen as well yes so we have to be very careful about
1: <laughs> what we're talking about oh, I'm very grateful to my mum because she's my main quality controller for the podcast and so she'll say things like Rachel I was listening the other day and did you have a bad cold because there were some very funny breath noises I was like "What?" <laughs> so I, I listened to the episode that had gone live it's been live for about a month and It was awful, but basically our audio editor had done something really weird to the audio. And rather than cutting out weird noises, he had accentuated the breath noises. So every time one of us breathed, it sounded like Darth Vader was on the line and he had fixed it, but then he'd not uploaded the fixed version. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, why didn't he tell me? Anyway, so thank you, mum, for all the quality control. It's very much appreciated. But we're talking generally here. So any similarity to persons living or dead is is not intended.
0: <laughs> Correct. Entirely coincidental.
1: Exactly that. Entirely coincidental. But yeah, you know, and I, I'm really, really lucky. I have a, a wonderful family and we generally have a lovely time at Christmas. But there always are those disappointments those things that aren't quite as you'd expect. For me, I always expect to feel much more rested over Mm. the holiday season. And I'm always quite disappointed when I don't. I don't know why I'm disappointed because I really just should learn. But do you think that's the issue that we're expecting too much? And if we expected much less, we wouldn't be disappointed or is it a bit more nuanced than that?
0: Well, one of my absolute favourite games to play, and I might have mentioned this on a previous podcast, but people listening for the first time, it's worth saying again, is to play Christmas bingo, any event or any occasion bingo, which is about imagining you have a bingo board in front of you. And on each of the squares, you're putting something that you expect might happen, that would be disappointing, but would be kind of reality. So it might be again, no connection to anyone living or dead coincidental. It might be my sister will drink too much alcohol and will say something offensive to my partner. And you would, you would literally make, I would actually encourage people to make this as a bingo board. So you would have that in one of the squares. Then maybe it's my children will eat too much sugar and will just run around tearing through the house and be a bit of a nightmare. That goes on one of the other bingo. And so you have this, this bingo board of all the things That you actually do, in reality, expect might not be great about Christmas. Because what this does is it takes us out of that kind of rose-colored, I am completely a rose-colored glasses person. I'm an optimist. I will always look for the ideal version of what's going to happen. So I've really trained myself to try to look for, well, actually, in reality, what are all the worst things that might happen? Not in a pessimistic way, but just in a kind of eyes wide open reality way okay, so this is my bingo board of all the things that might happen. And I'm going to get a trusted friend that I can message on the day. And that friend can do the same as well. Each time one of these things will happen, I'll actually smile to myself because I get to cross off that item on my bingo board. And I get to message my friend and say, yeah, I'm one down, two down, (laughs) three down. And it becomes a game. It becomes something that I can smile about, that I can feel lighthearted about. None of it's as serious anymore because it everything can just get so serious when we've got our our kind of dream expectations of how it's going to be and then it's all crushed and it feels dramatic and it feels serious rather than that kind of rolling your eyes oh yeah <laughs> christmas with the family or christmas with this particular group of friends again and then it becomes a fun a fun competition with your friend who you're messaging uh, in quiet moments to say which one of you is going to fill your fill your bingo board first
1: i love that and what what prize do you have when you filled it <laughs>
0: just the joy of knowing knowing your people it's like yeah you know I know these people these are you know these people and not just other people but yourself you know I I might put on mine like I know that for me when I go into stress I'll I'll go to food I'll use food as a kind of numbing agent so I could put on my bingo board I will eat way too many roast potatoes and I will feel sick or I will start that conversation that I know is going to cause an argument with my brother I know it, but I'm going to do that. And if I put it on my bingo board, then it's like I, I know myself. Maybe and you've got an excuse, play. right?
1: So you can say, well, sorry, sorry, Bert. Um, I just had to get my <laughs> bingo board away. That. That's why we're talking about this.
0: Yeah, no offense. It was just to win bingo. But there's, there's, you know, and, and for each, each listener, there's a, a different version of how you just might make the whole thing more playful. Because if you're talking about rest... Another way of thinking about rest and relaxation is to think about play. How can you have things be more playful? So having a bingo board, having it be light, maybe even engaging the other friends and family at your event with this. Guys, what are all the things that in past Christmases haven't gone that well? And having a game with that. Oh, I love that.
1: That's really helpful (laughs) because I guess if you're predicting something's going to happen, and I think that's very much accepting it's going to happen and i know a lot of your work you do is about acceptance and that is something that i'm getting quite obsessed with is how do we just accept stuff that we can't change and that is a great way of doing it because it actually becomes great when it happens because you you get to cross it off is there anything to be said around predicting those behaviors and trying your best to avoid them or doing something in a different way to avoid them or will that just lead to more disappointment when you've I don't know, desperately tried to hide the sherry, but still Auntie Marjorie's <laughs> found
0: it. <laughs> I think it's always worth trying, right? Without the pressure to like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have this amazing Christmas, I'm gonna be so much better and so much different from last time and everyone's going to be. So actually knowing, now I look at my bingo board, knowing what's on here, what could I do if I if I start that conversation with my brother, could I get my wife to give me a kick under the table? Could I even tell my brother, look, I'm probably gonna want to talk about this element of politics with you. It's never gone that well before. Why don't we have a truce for this Christmas? If either of us starts talking about it, either of us can go stop or anyone at the table can go, whoa, 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 guys, you're on that topic. So you can let other people in because everybody wants to have a good occasion. So let people in on what might go not so great so that you can collectively um, make it better, for sure. Mm.
1: I think the whole kicking under the table thing can can be quite helpful just comes with a bit of health warning though because my, <laughs> note, my husband started doing this for me because I'm like okay I can be quite impulsive and sometimes say stuff I don't want to say to people particularly when I'm out in a social situation and got my guard down so can you just you know give me a signal kick me under the table if I if I'm doing that and <laughs> it's yeah. got to the point where I'm getting <laughs> coming home with black and blue legs (laughs) and you've got a broken ankle right now So I know we'll talk about that in a minute I'm like why are you kicking me he's
0: like Rachel it's (laughs) supposed to be a subtle sign (laughs) I love that you know and it and it and it could be more subtle it could be just like a a gentle gentle squeeze of the hand or a a knowing look in the eyes or (laughs) could you you know Rachel could you just come and help me with something out here for a moment I'm a really big fan of setting alarms on your phone that are going to just flash up So it might be that I know that, I don't know, lunch is going to be at one o'clock. I know that probably I'm going to go to that fourth helping of jacket of of roast potatoes at around (laughs) 1.15. But I could just set an alarm on my phone at 1.15 just to say something like space in your tummy or feeling lighter in your tummy. And that's going to flash up on my phone so that I go in that moment, it's like leaving little breadcrumbs for myself (laughs) or potato crumbs for myself (laughs) at 1.15, probably a good time to just check in with whether I really want to have that potato, that extra roast potato or not. Yeah, I love that. And
1: I think we're being a bit silly about Christmas and stuff, but there are social occasions that, that you're looking forward to, but you know that sometimes things trigger you, they'll set you off, et cetera, et cetera. And I think, like you say, giving yourself alarms, giving yourself little cues, actually thinking about things beforehand, that actually it would be better not to talk about that and just change the subject rather than it just happening will help you feel a little bit less disappointed about stuff. I, I think there are also, when you know people really well, like family, there are triggers aren't there and there are scripts that keep going round your head and there are dances that you get into that's exactly the same as you always get into it, it could be someone saying oh let me help you and you go oh, no no it's all right you just sit down and then you end up being really pissed off at the end of the day I've just done everything it's like well they could have helped you so how do you escape getting really triggered by by someone who, who's really not doing anything much but just because of the past every time they I don't know mention your brother's career you get really triggered Mm. thinking oh well okay I know you don't think I'm doing well enough blah 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 when that's absolutely not what they're talking about how would you suggest people deal with that
0: yeah I think it's great that you talk about the dance moves I talk about this a lot and actually making those dance moves visible and knowing this is a dance that we always do and in advance just playing that dance move out in your mind okay so she says that about my brother's career I'll feel tight inside. It's useful to look at your body. What does my body do? I get tight inside. My shoulders go up. Oh, I want to scream. I want to run. I want to argue back. Okay. That's my dance. I know that dance so that when that dance starts to occur in your body, you can hopefully catch it. Oh, this is that dance move. This is the defend my career choices dance move. You could give it a name so that then when it starts to occur, it feels familiar to you because You've rehearsed it almost in your mind. That's what's likely to happen. Oh, I'm in that dance move. Okay, what is a different dance move? And again, to rehearse that in advance. When that happens, I'm going to excuse myself just so that I can go take a few breaths in the bathroom or maybe I quickly offer to go make a cup of tea or anything that's going to get me out of that intense dance so that I can recalibrate, I can reset, I can come out of that amygdala response that is that very fast triggered response. I can come back into my more rational mind. My prefrontal cortex can take over again and I could do a different move back if even that conversation is still happening. Maybe that's enough just to stop that conversation. Maybe we get so fast that we don't even need to go to the bathroom or go and make a cup of tea. We just catch, oh, I'm in that triggered state. Okay, take a deep breath. Maybe I can ask a question back to give myself a a bit of breathing time. Okay. Got another breath there. Okay. Everything's calming down in my body. Okay. And then I can say something very different from what would have been my traditional dance move.
1: I was listening to a podcast with Rob Bell, who's absolutely one of my favorite podcasters. He's on uh, one of our previous episodes, how to ditch the savior complex and feel more, more alive, which if people have got any time over the holidays, I suggest you listen to it's amazing he was talking about these, these conversations, these circular conversations that you get into with people and you just know how it's going to turn out because you've had the same conversation a hundred times before. And it's just the same old. So do you recommend you just go with that conversation, you know how it's going to turn out, or you just try and head it off. And because it's quite hard to head off someone when they've, when they get into their groove and you just know that they're going to do it, or do you just go somewhere in your head and just try and be a bit detached? I get it. You're pushed for time. And with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear the you are not a frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole, and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops, top five episodes, sorry, and leap into your happiest thriving self again. Just go to youarenotafrog.com slash quiz.
0: Yes, yeah, so it depends who that person is. You could either, if, if it's someone that you have a, a relatively strong relationship with, you can you can address it in advance and say, you know, look, remember last year <laughs> we did this thing. It, it kind of led to us feeling a bit grumpy, a bit stressed. Or we, everyone was a bit tetchy, There was a bit of tension in the room. Why don't we collectively agree not, not to do that this time? Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, in that moment, can you de-escalate your own reaction so that you could do something different? There are different options, and the other option is to to make requests, either in advance or or in the moment. I'm a huge fan of making requests. I think we we massively underestimate our power to make a request. I'll give you an example of this for my my 40th birthday when it was coming up, and it had been quite the year. We had um, lost Alfie, our first son, was still born that year before I turned 40, and I'd also I think broke. I think I'd broken my wrist as well, so there was there was a lot going on. And I thought, you know what? So that I don't feel disappointed that this fortieth birthday is not, you know, I'm not where I want to be in my life right now. I am um, going to make requests, and I put a post on Facebook saying, for my fortieth birthday, this is what I would like. And I made a really, really clear request of the presents that I wanted. I mean, this was on Facebook, right? This was people, some people who are not my closest friends and family. I just said, this is what I would like. And I was amazed by how many people, people who, again, weren't really so, so close to me, but were just people I knew or had known in the past, who sent me really generous gifts because I had asked for what I wanted. And you and I, with with the Shapes Toolkit, we talk about the zone of power. Within our zone of power is the capacity to ask for what we want. Whether other people give us what we want is entirely out of our zone of power. Mm -hmm. But from within our zone of power, we can ask for what we want. So I could say, let's say back to the Christmas dinner, I could say to my brother, please don't bring up this topic. It doesn't go well for us when we talk about this. Please, if I start talking about this, could you please help me and change the topic? I could say to whoever's serving dinner, please, could you not let me have more than five roast potatoes? (laughs) Um, Please, could you, if you see me going to put that sixth one on my plate, take it away from me. (laughs) Be really, really specific. I I have seen that you, Rachel, (laughs) have broken your ankle. And I saw you making a really clear request in a group (laughs) that we're on, you know, asking for the specific help that would be great right now for you. And um, so that we don't, don't we then don't need to feel disappointed that other people haven't read our mind, other people haven't given us what we need. We just ask for what we want and what we need.
1: Yeah, it's interesting you say that because actually that that was a real joke that I put on WhatsApp. But it's a request. It was uh, I'd broken my ankle and the lovely group was saying, "Oh, what can we do to help?" And I said, "Well, if you could pop over and see my dishwasher, hang my washing out." Yeah, That would be brilliant. But you know, I'm asking my children to do that at the moment. And to be fair they're not really responding in the way I would like them to respond. Let's, <laughs> let's just say, and I'm getting quite, Hmm. let's say mm. I'm, I'm trying not to moan. I've made this decision when I broke my ankle, I'm not going to moan and I'm not going to criticize people and I'm not going to whinge at them or mm. nag at them, but I'm mm. feeling a little bit disappointed by the response. Now it is entirely mm. It's an entirely normal child response. You know, when I say, can yeah. you go and get me a hot water bottle? And they're two flights up. They don't want to go into it. Yeah. Um, but I am feeling a bit disappointed by my family's reaction to my request. So what, what do I do about that? Yes.
0: Yes. Well, you know that if you have done what is in your power, then it is back to what you were saying at the beginning. It's about acceptance, mm-hmm. and which is so hard, right? It's such a small word for such a big, huge, philosophical, spiritual endeavor. <laughs> yeah. Isn't everyone's life's work somehow to find acceptance with reality being disappointing but have you made really clear requests as you say without the wind without the complaint without the demand without the poor me without any of that just hey this would be really supportive if and if your family aren't responding then you have options like this lovely whatsapp group that we're on for example there are adults who are not your family on that group who you can genuinely make that request you know without any shame please could someone come and empty my dishwasher please could someone come and do some shopping for me i think we we often hold back from asking because we feel like oh we shouldn't we shouldn't need help or we shouldn't um but actually people like to help i remember really well rachel when i i had a hospital appointment coming up and you just so kindly said do you need someone to go with you and it, you know it hadn't even occurred to me that i could ask someone to go with me i think as as caring adults, as I imagine all of the listeners of this podcast are. We know that we like to help people when they make requests, if we can, if it's within our capacity and our our time and everything. So we can do the same. We can actually make really clear, clean requests of people. That's really
1: interesting because I think, yes, a lot of disappointment is probably a little bit self-inflicted. So just reflecting on what you just said about my family, I'm asking them in the, yeah, they just come home from school and I say oh can you make me a cup of tea and they're like oh no I have to or they're really tired whereas you're right I haven't been really really clear in my requests mm-hmm. I haven't said to them you know at the beginning of the day actually guys it'd be really helpful if you could empty the dishwasher if you could hang out the washing because my other half's away at the moment so and asking them at a time where they're actually going to be receptive to it because I think When you ask people in the moment, you do often get a bit of whinging and and pushback. But when they sort of stop and think about it, then they do do it. And I think reflecting on life's other disappointments, maybe the the bigger disappointments, maybe relationship breakdown or or bereavement or something like that. We we layer pain on top of our original disappointment by not expressing what we need. And then when people don't give us what we need, we get really upset and even more disappointed when often yeah. people just can't can't read our minds, can they
0: yeah, yeah, it's a, I, I do believe that we as humans we do like to help other people, we just need to sometimes have a pathway to do that that's really clear.
1: Yeah. And it, I think helping people out is a total gift. You know, I had to go to Fracture Clinic on Tuesday morning and everyone was out and I knew all the taxis would be booked up. And I thought, Oh, and I felt really bad about doing it. But put a request on our neighbours WhatsApp, just can someone drive me, you know, it's only five minutes drive to Fracture Clinic. And of course, yeah. of course I'll drive you to Fracture Clinic. I'll only yeah. be too pleased. And it was really lovely because mm-hmm. we got to catch up in the car and I'd felt really bad about even asking for that. I mean, that that's a really, really small thing, but, but, It is a joy to be able to give to someone in a way that is significant. And if you look at the ways to well-being, giving is one of the ways to well-being. And so if you're giving somebody an opportunity to give to you, that's actually really good. And I must say, I think um, healthcare professionals, we're really bad at asking people to give stuff to us asking for that help because we're so stuck in the rescue role We're we are all the, always the people that are, are strong mm. and we're always the people that are helping other people mm. that it's 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 quite alien but it, but it doesn't stop us getting hacked off when people don't offer <laughs> the help so it's, it's just mm-hmm. thing sort of our we
0: really are our own worst enemies and this might go back as well to that why Christmas cannot feel like a very restful period for many of us, if we are in rescuer mode, if we're doing all the, oh, it's all on my shoulders and no, you go and sit down, I'll do it. If we go into that martyr role, whereas could we find more chance for rest? Could we ask really clearly? Could we assign roles more clearly? Could we become more coach-like maybe of our friendship group, our family? in 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 delegating or asking or having other people step up so that it's less on us so that we can have a bit more rest mm. and
1: where does expectations plow into this because i always think with with christmas that you know when we're organizing who's going to do what at christmas and yeah, you know, James and I have always said, "Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could just go skiing at Christmas?" You know, yeah. You know, Let's stuff everybody else. Let's just go skiing or go somewhere really exotic. And then we think, you know, there are people who have time off that we'd like to see. There are family members that might not have anyone else to go to, and we think, no, actually, for Christmas, we'll make sure that we can be available for those people. And we always end up saying why do people have such expectations of Christmas Day? Because we can Mm. do that other stuff with each other any time. But what's the role of actually lowering your expectations of, well, firstly Christmas, but then I'm going to broaden out to relationships and to life. Does that help with the acceptance or is that just a very sort of nihilistic way to live?
0: I think we absolutely want to look at our expectations. I I like to say the expectations are premeditated resentments. Ooh. I also think they're, Ooh, like they're premeditated disappointments as well. Mm. I've I've learned to, to um, radically switch my expectations. Um, again, because I am a natural optimist, idealist, I'll always envisage things being the best. And then all I've got to go from there is really to be disappointed. <laughs> um, mm. Whereas my wife is very, very handy as a partner because she will tend to see the perceived problems. That's just how her mind works. It, it's a different way of looking at things where she'll automatically see all the things that could go wrong, or could be bad about a situation. So we're we're a great match for this. And I'll give you one example of where we've used this a lot recently, uh, and helpfully, is our daughter, who's now six months, she had a lot of medical needs in the beginning, we had a, a hospital stay, and we had various appointments with pediatricians, they're still ongoing, even. And before a medical appointment, because I would go into, oh, it's going to be wonderful. The pediatrician's going to be on time. She's going to be really helpful. We're going to leave with some really useful, you know, whatever it is, remedies. And Sam has trained me <laughs> to instead look at all the things which could not be great about that appointment. So literally, as we're walking to the hospital, as we're sitting in the waiting room, we're talking about, okay, probably, you know, the pediatrician's going to be late. Um, she's probably going to be distracted. She's not going to really feel like she has read our notes. She's not going to have time for us. And so we're, we're setting up all the things that could possibly go wrong. And then when the pediatrician comes out on time, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. (laughs) I'm so pleasantly surprised. She then actually listens to us. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so much better than I thought. And, and this is actually a, I didn't realize it when we started doing this, but this is actually a concept in psychology called counterfactual thinking. Ooh. And what what many of us will do is we'll tend towards upward counterfactual thinking. So, so counterfactual thinking is our, our ability, our, our desire to create alternative realities in our minds, to think that things could have gone differently. And we tend towards upward counterfactual thinking, which is that things um, should have been better, would have been better. And actually, it's really, really lovely (laughs) to imagine that actually the alternative to what is happening could have been worse because then everything seems to be a a pleasant surprise. And to to bring this to a a kind of more, more serious level, after Alfie died, you know, a lot of my grief, a lot of my the tragedy of it was comparing reality with what I think should have happened, which would have been better which was he would have lived, he would now be three, and to have imagined a better reality, different from the current one. What has helped me over the years so, so much is the opposite, is downward counterfactual thinking, which is that the alternative to reality was that we were never pregnant in the first place, Mm -hmm. was that that pregnancy test was negative. And so all that we actually got with him was a bonus, actually, isn't that amazing that we got to have him in the womb, we got to meet him, we got to hold him, we got to name him, we got to have his existence versus the alternative reality where we didn't. And so that that is like the most absolute powerful thing I've ever come across is to imagine that what is happening is actually a pleasant surprise, a bonus versus what it could have been. Is that similar to gratitude? Because,
1: that's the word that floated through my head then when you were talking about actually we got to meet him. We got mm. to have him in the wombs. Even though it had such a bittersweet ending, what yes. you've done is flip that disappointment into into gratif- gratitude for what was rather than resentment for what wasn't. Was is that too exactly simplistic? That.
0: No, exactly that. Exactly that is What are you comparing with? Because we're always comparing with something, I think. Mm. So if we're comparing with, oh, the Christmases of the movies, the... Relationships of the movies or of our imagination, then yeah, how can we feel gratitude because the reality looks less good than that? But if we're comparing with what would have been much worse, then the gap between that worse alternate reality and our present reality—it's so much to be grateful for because we actually have something better than we could have had.
1: How does this play out in things like relationship breakdown? Because I've noticed that it does seem to be incredibly hard to feel grateful even for the time that you were with that person when it's all gone really horribly wrong. But I guess there are always good things that did come out of it, mostly.
0: Yeah, and I think what I don't want to suggest here is that we are bypassing any of the, the sadness, the loss, the grief of a relationship, a person. That's so important that we start there, I believe, is that we start by honoring, gosh, like this is loss. This is grief. This is bereavement. My heart is broken. We honor that. We lean into our support networks, our trusted people. We cry, we grieve, we mourn. We do all of that. And once the energy of that, it feels like we have, we have expressed that, we've honored it, we've embraced that then there is that opportunity for gratitude by looking at I could have not had that relationship at all and then where would I have been but I think if we go to that if we go to if we try to go to gratitude or that that counterfactual thinking too quickly it's bypassed and I feel like that's only then going to come out later to bite us
1: and that turns out to be toxic positivity doesn't it then I think
0: absolutely which I am not an advocate of yeah. And
1: how does this apply to other disappointments in life? Obviously, we've started off talking about disappointing Christmas. Now we talked about <laughs> bereavement and relationship breakdown. I think for a lot of us, a lot of us listening to this podcast, there might be a bit of disappointment about careers and jobs, because either we've had to give stuff up because of family commitments and work less than full-time which has meant that our careers have had to take a back burner and we got overtaken by everybody who didn't have to work less than full-time or we've ended up in roles that we thought we would be really enjoying but maybe not quite as good or there's been family stuff going on maybe children with special needs that's taken up a lot of time so we haven't been able to give what we wanted to our career or we've been overlooked for promotion or, or roles that we really wanted to where does that sort of leave us With handling the disappointment,
0: yeah, I think it's really helpful just to normalize it. To say, human experience, life has so much potential disappointment, and therefore, it's okay to be disappointed about this. Not trying to get out of that. Not to think, oh, if only I had done this. No, do you know what? This is my reality. I wish it were other. It's not. I am disappointed. Can I be with that disappointment? And. Then can I look at, okay, well, how how could this actually potentially be opening other doors? Are there any benefits that might be coming out of this? Is there anything I can be grateful for? But again, if it comes to the career side of things as well, exactly the same things that apply don't bypass the experience of disappointment. The experience, the feeling of disappointment, we can sit in it. My son is two and a half and I'm really teaching him at the moment, which is teaching myself as well, how to be sad, how to be angry, how to be frustrated, disappointment. These aren't feelings to try to get over. They are feelings to sit with. So we have a little, a little ditty each evening as we cuddle before bed. I say, when you feel sad, I love you. When you feel disappointed, I love you there's no feeling that he can have that's not acceptable, that's not wanted and cherished. And it's okay to be that. You can be disappointed. Accepting and acknowledging that feeling doesn't mean that I wouldn't set certain boundaries, right? If he's disappointed and he's throwing toys, I'm going to stop him from throwing those toys if it's going to hurt him or, or or something. But you can feel disappointed. And I, I think many of my generation, and I know people listening will be in different generations, we weren't really shown how to just sit in disappointment. That it wasn't somewhere to escape. It wasn't some something to get over. Oh, come on, cheer up, be feel better. And you're disappointed right now. That's okay. It's okay to feel disappointed right now. So I think that's that is the kind of reparenting certainly that I am doing at the moment through parenting a child. And for anyone listening it, is Can we sit in that disappointment? And that takes a lot of self-compassion,
1: doesn't it? Because I think one thing I've noticed in healthcare professionals, doctors and myself is that we take that, I think the Buddhist is called the second arrow. So we feel Mm. disappointed and then we have emotions like anger and sadness and frustration. And then we beat ourselves up because we shouldn't be feeling like that. We should just be getting on with it or we yeah. look back and blame ourselves for what happens. And there's yeah. a lot of self-flagellation going on. And when I broke my ankle a week ago, ice skating, my predominant emotion was anger at myself. Mm. I was so cross. I slightly lost it when the radiographer took my x-ray. She went, Oh yeah, I definitely broke it. And I just, started weeping still oh, are you okay is it painful I was like no I'm so cross with myself why did I do it it's like mm-hmm. just like you had an accident you fell over I was like yeah but I was trying to show someone I was showing off I didn't need to have done it you know and she was mm-hmm. like this is this is ridiculous I think she thought <laughs> there's this grown woman who's losing the plot in front of me and I can't quite work out why and then after about five minutes I thought well this is this is absolutely ridiculous <laughs> I then got cross for myself for being ridiculous so I, think I obviously <laughs> need quite a lot of therapy but yeah my, my well, predominant the... thing was not oh I'm disappointed let me sit in the sadness it's getting cross for myself for doing it in the first mm-hmm. place and then for being annoyed with myself for being upset
0: yeah it sounds like the third fourth fifth and sixth arrow that yeah. just got oh jammed in your heart then afterwards yeah I think you're so right that self-compassion is a huge part of this compassion that you are having an experience that you did not want to have that you did not plan to have you didn't plan to end up on the floor in the ice rink or in the hospital um and for some of us we need we need to think about how other loved ones might treat us if we can't quite give ourselves the compassion because that can be really hard to be self-compassionate we can imagine who's the kindest person in my life that I can think of and how would they talk to me right now? You know, I don't know who that person is for you, Rachel, but you know, what would that person say when they saw you sat on the ice?
1: No, they would say, Oh, silly you. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Um, Yeah. No, they'd be like, Oh, you know, you were just being, you were just being playful like you are. And that's why people, Love you, and mm. yeah, you weren't showing off because you were just having fun. Yeah, yes. a- a- absolutely. But we find it so hard to do this for ourselves. And I think what I think we do, which stops us dealing with this disappointment, is looking back and using the "if only, if only." So I guess mm-hmm. relationship. If only I hadn't, hadn't met. And if only hadn't been so stupid. If only hadn't made that decision. If only, if only. Yeah. And that's pretty um, toxic. Well, a because you can't actually do anything. Different because it's in the past, so you can't change it. So, well out of your zone of power. Yeah. But, but also, actually, if you had gone back in the past, would you make a different decision? You, you, you probably mm. wouldn't, right?
0: Hmm. Hmm. Yes, and you know that if only if it's used constructively, can be great. Like, okay, next time I go ice skating, what would I do differently? <laughs> it will go off to the teacher after the lesson. <laughs>
1: and go oh look at this new move that I just learned and promptly break my ankle yeah
0: (laughs) and it's you know it's like okay so I did I did that that's what I did what would I do differently and it, it can be so hard to ask that question because that that critical voice inside is like whoa you know you were such an idiot why did you do that what would you it was like okay what did you do what would you do differently next time and you just become a learner then you become a learner and and this goes back to, again, if we go right back to the, the Christmases discussion, okay, that's what happened last year. These are all the things which I was disappointed with or when it came to that relationship or when it came to that work. Okay, with a really clear head and asking the question as a genuine question, what would I do differently next time? And what would support me to do that different thing <laughs> on the ice rink? What would actually support you? Because your natural inclination was to show people the move. So, what would be different next time? What would you need to think differently in order to do something different next time on the ice rink?
1: Is that a question? Yeah. That's a good question. Yes. I think I would go to the side and show the move next to yeah. the side of the rink so I can actually cling on when I fall backwards. I think yeah. that's really good because that stays in your zone of power, doesn't it? It's okay. So, I am in control of what I do next time. I think yes. for me as well, there is. Something now, I have to tread carefully about how I say this because it really is unhelpful and it really bugs me when people say, Oh, something good will come of it. Every mm-hmm. cloud has a silver lining, and you know, or people start quoting you, faith based stuff of things work together for good and all this sort of mm-hmm. stuff. When actually, if there's been a tragedy, that's really hard to hear. But I think there's been a couple of ways of thinking about things that have helped me. The first one is about playing hunt the pony I don't know if you've heard about hunt the pony
0: I haven't I'm so excited Mm. to hear it
1: okay I was getting very frustrated with a particular situation I'd go every week to this particular thing and I'd just not enjoy it it'd be so annoying and someone said why don't you just play hunt the pony I'm like what do you mean and they said if there's a pile of poo sitting in the middle of the room (laughs) then there's probably a pony somewhere around (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Oh, that's good. Okay, so I'm not enjoying this bit, but actually when I come here, I get to see that person and that person and they're doing a lot of good around here. So that that's the pony. So maybe I can put up with that pile of poo there. So that's one thing that helps. The other thing that helps me is I was listening to a podcast with Daniel Pink, who's just written a book about regret, which I have bought. I haven't yet read, so I'm sure there'll be a podcast coming out about regret. Wouldn't it be good if you get Daniel Pink on? You are not a frog. So Daniel Pink, if you're listening, please, will you come on? (laughs) I don't think he's listening. Anyway, he was talking about regret and how regret can actually be quite powerful motivator. But one thing he said really struck me. And that was that if you could go back to to, to that thing that you've regretted and you could take an eraser and completely wipe it out of history but everything that happened as a result of that thing would also Mm. be erased from history. Would you do it? And that's quite an interesting question. And I think for some people, of course they would do it because there are some utterly awful things that happen, but he was saying actually nine times out of 10, or maybe it was more than that. You wouldn't because Mm. of either what you've learned or the other stuff that's come from it. What was your response to that be, Karina?
0: Yeah, I think two things. One is that you're absolutely right. That kind of silver lining messaging from others is not helpful. It feels really uh, squashing of your experience. So other people saying, oh, we'll find the good in it. No. Mm -hmm. But if I can, in a situation that I'm finding disappointing or heartbreaking or whatever it is, if I can ask, huh, I wonder if not there is a silver lining, but I wonder, I wonder how this might Turn out for my good, or I wonder what other doors this might open, or I wonder what I might learn from this, which currently feels impossible, but I just wonder, and that for me is is an antidote, but we can only i think ask that of ourselves it feels really harsh when someone else wants us to look in that direction when we 're just in the disappointment
1: yeah absolutely it can that can be really annoying, but I think it is quite a powerful question and then you look at all that research that shows that true resilience is only built by going through crap (laughs) by going through difficult stuff we learn best through failure we only tend to change when things are going wrong or things are difficult that's what builds character in a way all these disappointing <laughs> things are actually honing our characters and turning us into better people but it still doesn't mean that you would choose any of it i guess
0: and can we be in that learning growing mindset with it i think we've then got more of a chance because i'm just thinking imagining myself as a listener thinking yeah but every single christmas every single <laughs> time at work everything it's all it, they just continuing to be bad i'm not learning anything mm. but can we switch into that curiosity of being a learner
1: Yeah. If you're talking to someone saying just every single Christmas, every single time at work, I would probably go to the quote, if you always do what you've always done, you're always going to get what you've always got. (laughs) Yeah. If nothing changes, probably things are going to carry on. Given that you can only change what you do, the conversations you have, the plans you make, expecting other people to change is just going to lead to disappointment. But doing what you can, asking for what you need catching yourself doing all those little things like setting alarms on your phone doing a bit of work doing a bit of therapy if if needs be I think therapy is amazing for uncovering those deep down scripts that we've got mm. going on I'm doing a bit of therapy for a few reasons at the moment and my goodness there's oh, oh, <laughs> <this is laughs> the in my head that you really don't want to know about Karina <laughs> oh oh you know I do <laughs> That's for that's for another episode or whatever. But it's it's all I mean, it's it's the usual stuff, all these sorts of things yeah. that, that we've got deeply ingrained in us from childhood. And and sometimes it just takes a bit of work and a bit of time to uncover those things. And mm. it's not very pleasant when we do uncover them, but it is quite healing, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and, and just that compassion to bring to all of that, you know, that we are human, we are human beings, having this human life thing which is just very hard for many, many people. Um, Mm -hmm. So any support we can get to help with that. Absolutely.
1: So Karina, we're at the end of our time. Sadly, what would your top three tips be for dealing with either Christmas disappointment or bigger disappointments in life?
0: So I would say it's that bingo board, that planning for or expecting all the things that could not go well, and then being pleasantly surprised if, if indeed things do go better than expected. It's that making requests. So being unafraid to actually ask for what you want to need. And then I think number three will have to be that, that compassion, that being with yourself, with the disappointment, accepting yourself in that disappointment, knowing that you're human and that disappointment is part of the human experience. Yeah, brilliant. I think for me,
1: I would agree with all those three. The ask for what you need, I would add, clearly ask for what you need, because I think mm. I've asked for what I need. And often no one really understands what it is I need so <laughs> yes. really, really clear about it and the thing about self-compassion mm. and for me that looks like stop the blame stop the self-blame the why mm. am I so stupid I should have known better etc cetera, etc cetera. you would never say that to your best friend so no. why do you say it to yourself and finally I think pay, playing a little bit of hunt the pony in some of these <laughs> situations can be helpful oh so Karina right when you come back again because there's lots
0: more to talk about I certainly will. We're going to go into that deep dark Rachel's therapy, uh, right? That's what, that's what we're doing next. <laughs> maybe, maybe in, maybe in time,
1: maybe we'll go there eventually. But if anybody has got any dilemmas or anything that you'd like Karina and I to explore, then please let us know. Just drop us an email at hello at euarnotafrog.com. We would love to hear from you. And I always love, love getting emails from people telling me which episodes they particularly enjoy, because then it makes us understand what it would be good to talk about in the future. So please do let us know any dilemmas or any thoughts or any questions or any comments. And if people wanted to get hold of you, how can they do that?
0: Yep, karinagordonbarnes.com is my website. There's a contact page there. And my spelling of my name is C-O-R-R-I-N-A-G-O-R-D-O-N-B-A-R-N-E-S. That's fantastic. And we'll put all those in links
1: in the show notes so you'll be able to get to them so Karina I do hope you have a wonderful Christmas I'm sure you will because I know that Sam has had it planned for about six months
0: (laughs) oh it's been planned for 364 days (laughs) oh my gosh okay (laughs) it starts on Boxing Day the planning for the next Christmas begins
1: oh my word whereas I will probably start planning second week in
0: December (laughs) wish me well (laughs) I wish you well I wish everybody well happy Christmas or whatever it is you are celebrating perfect we'll speak soon bye-bye
1: thanks for listening don't forget we provide a self-coaching cpd workbook for every episode you can sign up for it via the link in the show notes and if this episode was helpful then please share it with a friend get in touch with any comments or suggestions at hello at you are not a i love to hear from you and finally if you're enjoying the podcast please rate it and leave a review wherever you're listening it really helps bye for now